0: uh did you actually finish reading it ultimate yeah i burned through it all starting today
1: wait you read all of it in one day holy shit
0: yeah i read all of it in one day oh my god it's not good for your digestion no i I would definitely say i didn't digest this comic particularly well (laughs) (laughs) i definitely it's yeah it feels relentless I I feel like I've been bombarded with fucking Spider-Man, like irradiated with it in a horrible way. It's just like when I sweat, I see little Spider-Man heads coming out of my pores. That's what I've turned into. There's Spider-Man everywhere. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) This is my revenge for all the Junji Ito, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> I actually know how you felt, greasy and uncomfortable for extended periods of time. <laughs> and now I know exactly what that feels like ramen.
1: Spider-Man,
0: Spider-Man, does whatever our Spider-Man spins a web. This week on Quarantine Comics, Ruman is taking his family to the release of the latest MCU masterpiece, Spider-Man No Way Home. So this week, we're going to talk about the Spider-Man Victorian romance that Ruman has been secretly working on during the pandemic and that he accidentally sent me. Hi! Hey. Yeah, In Ruman's weird imagination, Spider-Man falls into clean, sexless love. That's what makes the genre so timeless and age-appropriate. Hi! And who better to join us to discuss what's going on through Roman's head than acclaimed manga creator Junji Ito, who's been chanting for some reason in the background. Uh, right? Oh, uh, hey Roman, I thought you were going to go see the Spider movies tonight.
1: Uh, no dude, there's an Omicron variant out there, and I have a baby and a young child. Not even the latest Marvel cash grab attempt can have me risk life and lung without a still
0: suit on. Okay, but just, just one second.
1: Was that a spider robot talking? That's just what it would sound like. Like a spider lady. (laughs) I'm Roman Suggle. I'm Ryan Joe, And we are two dudes who are so tired of teen drama that we might just have to go back to Japan soon.
0: I've actually never been to Japan, Roman. Is it truly, though, the land without teen drama? (laughs) Hi!
1: This week, in honor of the latest Spidey installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we are actually completing our read of Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis and a smattering of artists like Stuart Immonen, Chris Samney, Sarah Pacelli, and a short return by Mark Bagley. This early 2000s reimagining of Peter Parker in our modern world ran for 11 years and 160 issues, so if you haven't actually listened to our part one episode last week, well, you're probably not reading these comics anyway, so whatever, you can do whatever you want. Ultimate Spider-Man has long been one of my favorite modern superhero runs, so it was really interesting to see it through to its ultimate inevitable conclusion. (sighs) So Ryan, I feel like you've been mainlining Spider-Man for a couple of weeks, I'm almost afraid to ask. What did you think about the concluding half of Ultimate Spider-Man?
0: Well, as we discussed earlier, I definitely feel like I've been mainlining Spider-Man. And I will say, this is probably not the way this comic was intended to be read, so this is probably going to sound a little unfair but i mean it was it was it was kind of repetitive that was my issue with the concluding half of ultimate spider-man and that's and that was kind of really magnified by the fact that i read it all like the entire second half in one big gulp you know you tend to see those the patterns very very easily at that point and just sort of like okay so i think that might have had a lot to do with the fact that i didn't particularly like this second half (laughs) i'm gonna try to
1: mine for hopefully some bright
0: spots but
1: i actually don't Disagree. It's it's really interesting. Of the second half, the last sixty, seventy issues or so, the first bit of it really did feel very middling. It's like okay, it's kind of villain of the week <clears throat> with with jumping into kind of Melrose Place nine hundred two one zero kind of drama. I don't know. I mean, I did enjoy a lot of the day in the life stuff, but I think it was it was a lot of me just waiting around for the big moments to happen, and yes. there were a lot of big moments that did happen. And in some cases, they were laying the groundwork of things in those kind of like middling, repetitive things. But, yeah, I mean, you felt like they were just delivering a monthly comic book.
0: Yeah. What struck me the most actually were the moments when small things happen. For instance, when, you know, he he finally lets Black Cat take off his mask so he can kiss her. And it actually turns into the one of the most cringiest moments of Peter Parker's entire life. When you know, this when like twenty two year old Hottie she's finds like, out she's, she's watching like, after a fifteen year old. Yeah, and she freaks out. And then the the way it makes Peter looks it looks so unattractive and kind of gross. So I, I kind of really appreciated like small moments like that. Versus yeah, the meta narrative really I gotta tell you, man, about halfway through I was starting to root for the villains to just kill Peter Parker and thank God it finally fucking happened. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> At first I
1: thought this would have really sucked as a monthly reader, you know, versus the enjoyment that normal people should have binging, I don't know, one volume a day, revisiting over the years like I did. But I don't know, being on this kind of wild, consistently entertaining ride each month, if you really did space it out, remember, these are issues that came out monthly with all the twists and turns for 11 years. I mean, that's what superhero comics are about, love them or hate them.
0: I think that's actually something that I would have very much enjoyed if I were reading Ultimate Spider-Man on a monthly basis, probably in my 20s, maybe late teens. I would have actually wanted every issue to repeat itself. It's kind of like the audience that just kind of wants more, more, more. It's, well, it's you know? comfortable. It's comfortable. It's because, comfortable. Yeah. Even though
1: I wasn't buying the monthly issues, this was probably by the point of my comic reading career where I was only buying graphic novels with a few issues here and there. So... These graphic novels would come out every six months or so. So basically twice a year, I'd order from Amazon or go to the comic store and get a volume and I'd sit down for the night, kind of like sitting down with a film and for a couple of hours consume it. And so and then even in this rereading. So where that was happening, basically, I was reading two volumes a year versus for the past few weeks, I've been reading two volumes a night, not 20
0: volumes a day. Like, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and he read individually, right? Each storyline is almost sort of like an individual thought experiment, you know, of, of Spider-Man. Like, what if, what would Silver say will be like in this environment? Let's explore that for a few issues. What would Daredevil be like in this environment? Let's explore that for a few issues. And that's probably, that's super exciting, you know, <laughs> when you're, when you're reading this on a monthly basis and you're reading it for the first time. And, you know, now, jaded and just kind of wanting a fucking storyline. You know, it's kind of, <laughs> I'm imposing these expectations on Ultimate Spider Man. That's kind of unfair. Despite it being an 11 year run, something
1: I read in one of the reviews about this was that this entire series apparently only takes place over two years of Peter's life. When he's bitten by the spider, he's a, just turned 15. And by the time of the conclusion of Peter's death, He's not even 17. And that's kind of nuts. It's a very insanely packed couple of years. And to be clear, there's the bullshit of, you know, time flows differently in comics. But this is very much a linear story. But my God, at least, I mean, unlike you who just read this in one go, you probably experienced this like Peter was experiencing it, like a fucking manic
0: every other day getting hit in the head with something crazy. Yeah, I did. I did that did pass through my mind. It's like, man, every every day something happens to this fucking kid. But of course, if if that weren't the case... You know, why would you bother putting his adventures in monthly comics? What I, one thing I do like is that you do kind of see the character's age, like, noticeably. Even, you know, you you see him grow, grow from a 15-year-old into a 17-year-old, and you see all of his friends do that, too. And I, I did think that was sort of like an an astute detail that ran across a whole bunch of volumes. There was an interview with the writer, Brian Michael Bendis, at the
1: <clears throat> back of one of these volumes where... He's like, look, the spider, the radioactive spider, or in this case, genetically altered spider that bites Peter is a metaphor for puberty. Like, sure, every teen goes through this, and this is a boy becoming a man, a boy becoming like the ultimate hero, no pun intended. But I really would like to kind of pick your brain on the bigger moments, right? Be it the clone saga, ultimatum, the lead up to the death.
0: They were interesting to me because they were big changes in tone, like with ultimatum, I guess that was one of the big moments. And just seeing this whole book suddenly go really, really super dark for a while. I mean, there's fucking cannibalism in Ultimatum. And then having the book spin off into literally a retelling of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. That was kind of shocking as well. I think the interesting thing about the Ultimate Universe,
1: and again, kind of like what they're doing with the MCU, is when something happens, we don't just like bat our eye at this world-changing event. Magneto flooded, and this was like an Ultimate Universe-wide thing, but Spider-Man lives in New York, and it was Magneto flooded the entire eastern seaboard. And honestly, in all the subsequent issues, including the Super Friend shit, like, before we were just kind of racist to mutants. Now, like, they are illegal because of what Magneto did. And so you feel the repercussions.
0: So that was actually what I liked about Ultimatum. I knew it was controversial, right? I mean, the whole thing with the blob eating the wasp. It was incredibly controversial when it happened because it was cannibalism in mm-hmm. the Marvel book, and it was also the blob eating of a, a female minority character. It was like a, a very grisly death, like on screen. But you know, those moments had finality, right? And that's kind of what we always ask for in our comics. Like that's one thing we talk about stakes. You know, if, if there's no sense of finality, there's no sense of stakes. And ultimatum showed that that these characters who that would continue on and on, like superheroes typically do, are going to die and die in grisly ways. And, you know, so I I actually did appreciate that. It felt like a real turning point for that for that world. But even more
1: on a more micro scale, like the Clone Saga, and I think that happened before Ultimatum, you know, that was in the spider world. Like, let's turn everything on its head for Peter, even his interactions with S.H.I.E.L.D. and his girlfriend and his finally, you know, having to level with Aunt May about things. And
0: yeah, that was that was an interesting one. Did you read the original Clone Saga?
1: That was around oh. the time that I quit comic books. And so yeah. I, I read a lot of the coverage of it, and I read a couple of issues, and I was just like, okay, wow, they've decided to jump the shark. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of ignored it, and I was like, you know, I'm swearing off of comic books. So Ultimate Spider-Man was one of the comics that I was like, okay, I'm going to give legit superhero comics a try again so when the clone saga came out i was really worried about it like i was like there's no way why are you doing this why are you jumping the shark
0: and i mm, feel like it kind of risky. did it justice yeah it's yeah it's super risky to like retell like the worst storyline in your character's history I, yeah. I, that's what that's what jumped out at me because everything else you know the death of gwen you Stacey, can't go home, but stacy
1: dr octopus all, uh, yeah, yeah
0: a lot of a lot of that is the is sort of typical but you know it's the great stuff and you want to revisit that but he wanted to revisit the clone saga and i thought that was like kind of admirable that he would actually fucking take that shit on well did um, it land for you yes and and no i mean a it was it was so much more interesting than the original clone saga bar it, so so
1: so getting a redo at the bar was low so how bad could it be
0: Right. You know, the original Clone Saga, they, they realize they fucked up and they returned everything back to normal at the very end. So, uh, you know, at least with this Clone Saga, there are these repercussions that happen. What happens in this Clone Saga is still felt even afterwards. So I like that it added to the history of Peter Parker. Yeah. But,
1: and I mean, even the introduction of, you know, in the original Clone Saga, Ben Riley is the clone. and they kind Ben of Riley's is the clone.
0: He's a doctor this... now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and he's a bit part, or,
0: or yeah, a big role. I thought he was. I thought he played a bigger role because of his name, but mm.
1: yeah. But the, instead, they decide to you know change the identity of another character with Jessica Drew, the female clone of Peter. Yeah, who, uh, that was interesting too. Yeah, and it, I, I think it was well done. And it was watching Spider-Man interact with the Ultimate Universe. You know, his reliance on the Fantastic Four, his trust of them over Nick Fury and Shield and the Ultimates, which you know will play a role later on towards the conclusion of the series. But I don't know, it just it just felt like a really nice kind of contained story, which kind of amped up everything about Ultimate Spider-Man.
0: So here's what I didn't like about the Clone, the versus Clone Saga, is that it really felt like a soap opera, you know, because it's sort of like that's this whole fucking book, though. This whole book is a soap opera. Yeah, I know. The whole book is a soap opera, but there's a difference between this book is a soap opera and this book feels like a soap opera. When it feels like a soap opera, you've like completely fucking overdone it. And so you have this moment <laughs> where, you know, Peter Parker reveals that he's that he's to aunt may that she's spider-man and she's like get out of the house right now and then he's about to do it but then his dad shows up hey guys how's everything going Dad, I thought you were dead. Oh, I was dead. And then Aunt May... And then S.H.I.E.L.D. burst through the door, and Aunt May has a heart attack. And it's Sort of like... I was, that, all of that shit happened in quick succession, Roman. You remember that, right? And I was, I remember thinking, this is... What the fuck is going on here? You know? Oh, Lala's dad shows up. The wall blows up. Nick Fury's there. And then Aunt May has a heart attack, and now I got it. i was like, what the hell? So... That was my thing with the Clone Saga. It was. But, but, the-
1: hang on, hang on. To to the Ultimate Universe's credit, though, these are all things that happen with stakes, unlike in a soap opera where you just kind of forget about it in the next. That's act.
0: true. Yes, when
1: Peter so Aunt Aunt, pa- Aunt May has a heart attack, and, and unlike I- original Spider-Man, where she's always having a fucking heart attack, this is the one heart attack she has.
0: And I, I also really like how they give this character this elaborate backstory, and then you reveal later on that it was all kind of like programmed into him. Oh, you're Um, talking
1: about his dad. Yeah. His
0: dad. Yeah. The revelation of his dad. I thought that was like really effective because there is, you know, there is a character to the dad. And then when you reveal who the character really is, there's this devastation to Peter Parker's dad, realizing that he isn't who he always thought he was.
1: Well, even that was his dad. Even the role of Dr. Octopus in the motherfuckery of the government, like, you know, one arm is doing one thing and the other arm is doing another. So no pun intended there, but it was just like, yeah, um...
0: everyone seemed really incompetent. Did, I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, didn't you realize like, and I I think that, you know, and sometimes that really works in the book's favor. It's kind of awesome. And other times it works like not in the book's favor because you want people to be heroic when they're all being like dumbasses. But everyone kind of was stupid. Like <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. was stupid. Sharon Carter was stupid. I'll tell you what, at the end, when Green Goblin broke out for like the umpteenth time, I literally thought that was a flashback because I was like, "He's not going to do it again. He's not going to be able to." And he (laughs) fucking did it again. So everyone keeps fucking up. Silver Sable fucks up. Daredevil fucks up. Doctor Strange fucks up. Everyone fucks up. Even Uh, Peter Parker does. But Peter Parker, but he's he's supposed to. She. Everyone. How everyone is fucking up in this book.
1: This is where the Ultimate Universe is, I think, marginally yeah. better than the mainstream I universe.
0: Know. I That's what I like about it. But there are times – you know, sometimes when the hero fucks up just a little bit too much and you're just like, dude, get out of your own way. You know, it's there's like this line between like <laughs> I fucked up and it's sort of charming to watch him struggle to make it right. And then there's I fucked up and you're just like, dude, stop it. Stop fucking up right this moment. You know? <laughs> so, okay.
1: So the reboot after Ultimatum, it's, you know, six months later. And I'm going to, I'm not going to like, I did not like the first volume of it. It really kind of pissed me off because it kind of just disassembled everything and put it back mm-hmm. together in a much more like cartoony way, mm-hmm. cartoony, marketing friendly way. Yeah. And, I was so and, curious and, about that. Yeah. It, I mean, what were your reactions? To, I mean, yeah, I had a you know, viscerally bad reaction and I think had I not bought the volume, had I been buying the issues. I probably would have quit after the first or second issue.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of guessing Bendis's motivation a little bit. Oh. You know, he's, he's running out of ideas, and he just kind of wants to try something new and weird. It could be that, you know, he just took part in a really dark storyline, and maybe he just wants to go the complete opposite direction and lighten things up. Um, let's, or... let's go back
1: to basics. Why did people like this originally versus why do we go down the Mark Millar kind of path of things?
0: I mean, it's not... It's ultimately not his universe to control, right? Because Bendis has a certain tone in the early volumes of Ultimate Spider-Man, and then anytime any of the other heroes start to come in, like the Ultimates, who are just kind of much darker. Fascist. They're fascists. They're fascists. You know, every, he, even other... the
1: Fantastic, even the Fantastic Four, by the way, which is interesting. The band breaks up, and Johnny Storm's not with the group anymore. In fact he and i that's kind of something i started to appreciate i was like oh wow we're gonna take bits and pieces of the people who are too lighthearted for the ultimate universe and we're gonna we're gonna bring them over to the bendisverse for a little bit
0: yeah yeah but it's it's like there's multiple different tones throughout the ultimate universe well um, even
1: even the tonal shifts it's some of the the thing that pissed me off and you i'm, I'm invested in these characters it is a soap opera and, and and it's hard to really internalize that this is six months later but after all the confessions of love and soulmate shit between Peter and MJ, all of a sudden he's fucking making out with Gwen. And we're not fair. explaining okay. that.
0: I, I didn't miss anything because like I remember I saw that pen. I'm like, oh, I, I guess they must have read them out of order or something like that. Or I, I just missed something. So, But that actually literally never – we never see that, like the breakup.
1: Well, and it's and they explain it later, three or four issues later, and you know MJ starts to have her own agency as a character. Yes, uh, And and so, let's talk about Gwen for a second. There's a lot of things to unpack here. So, la- in the last episode, you know, we said, wow, oh. they built Gwen up to this person, and they just kind of killed her off. And, uh, just to kind of summarize, they bring her back suddenly, through, you know, symbiote, clone sort of shit, and and again, they bring her back into the fold, this lost soul of a person, and she kind of starts to fuck things up in the... In the interpersonal dynamics of the spider household,
0: I don't know, I mean, yeah, but literally, I think they should have just left her dead. Um, she was so <laughs> much better dead, well, you know why because, like suddenly, her sacrifice means nothing because she's back, so you know, her death is actually kind of rendered meaningless and then you have and then and then what does she really ultimately affect i mean she's kind of a diversion for peter for a little <laughs> bit so mm-hmm. it's kind of you know i think it's sort of like oh we're just doing the spider-man run there was no romance with gwen stacy Like quick let's just throw her in there fast it almost felt like that like oh we got to get this shit in because ultimately you know of course he goes back to mary jane and the tension between gwen and mary jane i guess that's good for a few pages but it gets eh, but then they're all, they're all friends
1: yeah, they're there's all like friends no, again
0: it's, right it's, no stakes to it yeah, that, that, you're exactly right, Raman. There were, like, no stakes to it. So, you know, and ultimately, I mean, she does have the thing where she's carnage for a little bit, but it's a little bit goofy, and ultimately, it's every... Nothing, nothing changed with her. It actually, in bringing her back, it actually just kind of reverts her back to the status quo by the end. She doesn't, unlike Mary Jane and Peter, she doesn't actually evolve as a character because she's dead for so long. She comes back, she's, like, the exact same version of the person she always was. So... Yeah, that's why you know she's better a memory, because when you see, like, oh, this is what she's actually like, it's like, oh, not that interesting.
1: So once you get past the first volume of the reboot, where they've explained Gwen as kind of a nothing burger, and now Bobby and Johnny Storm, so Iceman and the Human Torch are uh, oh. living in the house, <laughs> and Kitty Pride is the girl down the street, and so it's superheroes all over town. You I, I ever,
0: been... Did you ever – Uh, watch Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends.
1: Of course, but that was, yeah, yeah, Firestar and Ice Man.
0: Exactly, this is basically the remake of it, which I I kind of appreciated at that level once I was sort of like, okay, like, I'm not going to take this part seriously. Then I remembered Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, and then I was like, oh, that's actually what he's doing. He's actually trying to redo. And this is playing the hits. Yeah, so I was like, okay, I I kind of appreciate that on that level, even though the, the, the adventures got a lot a lot goofier. And yet, you know, one thing that's also kind of interesting is that even as he rebooted it, he kept it within the same continuity, right? I mean, it became Spider-Man and his amazing friends for a little bit until it got darker again. But even when it got darker, it kind of kept that theme going, Spider-Man and Iceman and uh, Human Torch. It becomes almost this proof
1: point, less so with Iceman and more with Kitty and the Human Torch, that they kind of look up to him. He's the guy mm-hmm. who has kind of figured out. And Honestly, the, the the issue that – I think it was the volume right before Death of Spider-Man that really m- let me appreciate what Bendis was either trying to set up or stumbled into by kind of like stacking all these characters on top of each other. This idea of other people need him, other people can't do the job that well. It's almost like, what would Peter Parker do? He's kind of the standard for them.
0: Yeah. Well, I just really love how they show Peter Parker age. Like, towards the end, he's taken kind of this leadership position, you know, just by being with his friends. You've seen him evolve a great deal when you first see him, and he's like 15, and he's a lot more naive, but he's also a lot more optimistic. So, towards the end, he's actually an angry guy. He's seen a lot of death, he's seen a lot of tragedy, and had a lot of failure. And you see that build on him. So even though, you know, I don't like a darker Spider-Man, I actually really admired the shift in that it was actually very true to everything that he had been going through over those over those multiple episodes.
1: Well, you know, basically the ultimate say, okay, we have to train you. That's the deal. And one of my favorite scenes to kind of show that it almost was like this is the graduation moment where Tony Stark calls him. And he, Peter's like, "Can I ask what this is in regards to?" And Tony's like, "I have to teach you how to be a superhero." After Tony did like a massive fuck up, like superhero one on one fuck up. And the next, next, next scene after Peter's in costume, he's swinging and he's like, "Teach me." Who's gonna teach you? Because like you ass clowns who are supposed to be the figureheads,
0: you're not that good at this. That is sort of emblematic throughout the entire Ultimate series. People just really kind of fuck up even the heroes fuck up on their own accord so let's talk about the death i mean
1: okay the full stop they ended the series they i were think like...
0: i i gave a spoiler like
1: minute two i think so <laughs> well but i don't know if, was that ever the goal I, i'm genuinely curious when did bendis or when did marvel decide that we're going to do this and we are now running towards this and i think it was the moment they killed the kingpin that's like okay we need to start yeah because after that moment, it felt like, oh, we're wrapping up the Kitty story. We're going to wrap up Johnny Storm. We're going to wrap up everybody's story arcs, with the exception of kind of the core characters. And it was still, unfortunately, it was wrapped up in a bigger fucking Ultimate Universe thing. And it wasn't the end of the Ultimate Universe. That's what's interesting. But before we talk mm-hmm. about that, the, the repercussions of it, how do you think the death was handled? Did it sit with you? Was
0: yeah, it? I thought it was great. Who are you? <laughs> I don't know. They went through with it, and then they kind of just show the crucible that... Peter's on throughout. I thought that fight was the most brutal fight in the entire series, right? Because you show show Peter Parker and he is like really injured, really fucked up and really tired. And he's taking on all of his enemies fully powered. And, you know, it's just this great heroic ending for that character. And of course, the people who did it, it makes sense. Essentially, the Sinister Six.
1: There's even a moment. There's a moment that was very Peter for me where they're they're covering it on the news. He had already told Gwen and Aunt May to get the fuck out of town. So they're driving, listening to it on the radio, and Aunt May turns her back around. And as soon as she comes back, Peter goes to Gwen. He's like, Gwen, I don't give a shit what Aunt May tells you. Start running. Get away from here. The whole reason I'm here is to save your life. Get the fuck out of here. Like, drag her if you have
0: to. It was a very charged moment. My biggest thing, thinking about the role of the Green Goblin throughout the entire strip the strip the entire run of the series is that i wish i wish the green goblin meant more to spider-man right like he's actually just obviously in the mainstream marvel universe he's like the the biggest villain Spider-Man's life because of what he did, right? Killing Gwen Stacy. And so there is that primal hatred, this knowledge of how dangerous the Green Goblin really is. And in the Ultimates universe, you know, Peter's just property that he owns. It doesn't have that sort of... The Green Goblin, up until he kills Spider-Man, there's just not that same level of hatred between the two characters. What's
1: interesting is every time you get inside of Norman Osborn's head in the Ultimate universe, he has this unhealthy obsession with his project, Peter, right? But... From Peter's perspective, even from Aunt May's perspective, it's like, why won't this guy leave us alone? What is his deal? What is
0: wrong with this guy? And that felt more real. You know what they should have done, actually? I mean, honestly, they should have had uh, Green Goblin kill Mary Jane, right? You had that moment. You think she's Mm -hmm. dead, but she's actually alive. And oh, thank God. But I know you don't want to refrigerate the character. But if he had killed Mary Jane in that moment, you would have had this really beautiful, wonderful brief romance that happened between Peter Parker and Mary Jane and that was cut short like right right at its height by the Green Goblin. And then you have that primal rage, just like why, you know, against the Green Goblin, that real tie work. The Green Goblin really fucked up Spider-Man's life. You have all of that. And then you can move on to Gwen Stacy. She's you actually can do something survived. with Gwen. Right. And then you can do something with Gwen and then at the same time Mary Jane to readers will remain a sort of like ghostly romance. They'll be haunted by her presence, but you know, she survived and you kind of good on good armchair quarterbacking there. <laughs> Am I wrong? That makes sense though, right?
1: Here's the thing: the stakes were earned, deserved, and felt throughout the Ultimate Spider-Man comic, and it was part of a bigger universe, the Ultimate Universe. It just wasn't a standalone reboot, kind of like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. It hung together in a bigger universe, not unlike the MCU. But I think, to your point, they tried to make Norman Osborn a part of the bigger universe, being part of Spider-Man's yes. universe.
0: Yeah, and I don't actually know how he played in in the Ultimates or in. I mean, he, I
1: mean, you read, you read like Ultimate Six, you know, like but he, he never really has
0: was there. I mean, the the run of the Ultimates I read, he was never a presence.
1: No, in, in the but every time they bring in Nick Fury, he has a point on Norman Osborn. He was trying to bring back the Super Soldier Serum. He hates Nick Fury. He hates the President. It's a bigger thing versus just this Titan of Industry. Um, Then
0: that's actually – it actually is interesting. Like there's a whole other story about Norman Osborn and the other Ultimates. Um, No, and
1: what I'm I'm saying is it's not explicitly written in other comics, but every time they tell Norman's story in Ultimate Spider-Man, it's not as deeply personal with Peter. Peter is the pet project that he's obsessed with, but he also has an axe to grind with the Ultimate Universe, with S.H.I.E.L.D., the powers that be and his livelihood
0: like that speaks to the bigger mythology right there's a bigger mythology of norman osborn but it feels like he affects the ultimate universe way more than he affects spider man's world peter's in a right. way yeah. peter's world. i mean up until the, i mean obviously he kills him so but you know before that they just kind of have these like different clashes and you know peter parker eventually wins and you know r- rinse and repeat he's scary and he's big but it's never actually clear what exactly he wants from peter anyway as the green goblin like what is his goal to kill Peter or to, to sign a contract with peter to make peter sign an nda i don't know what what is his goal as green goblin when he fights you know when he's taking up spider-man
1: something that's actually really upsetting and so on the end of issue 160 the death of peter the last thing is you know peter is dead in mary jane's arms gwen and aunt may are crying even johnny storms there, like upset for having failed peter that's the scene yeah. to close on, but that's not the scene they close on. That should have been the last panel. You turn the page, and you show Norman Osborne smiling, dead, but smiling. Yeah, and that's just a real fucking punch in the guts, like in a, and not in a nice way. It's like a middle finger almost. Um, no, you it's couldn't a have creepy, this one beautiful moment. death moment.
0: Yeah, no, because that that moment is brilliant, right? Does it just mean the, the, that he won, or does that also mean? maybe he's still alive. And, and also giving, also you're literally giving Green Goblin the last laugh when you do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's upsetting, you know, but again, what, what it is, it's, it's upsetting. Is it a statement? Because we're, we just ended 160 issues of what many would say is the greatest Spider-Man run by giving the Green, it's a very dark ending to a very massive run. And so I guess Worth noting that it wasn't the end of Ultimate Spider-Man. It was the end of Peter Parker's story, the end of the Peter Parker chapter. And this is what was really interesting about the Ultimate Universe. This was, yes, this was an all new, all different retelling, but a lot of the stuff we've done in the past is the same. We've got a Dr. Octopus, we've got a Norman Osborn. And so the things that follow... There's a graphic novel called Fallout, which actually isn't that good, if not just for the one issue that shows the funeral, which that's pretty good, The Funeral of Peter Parker. But this series continues, and they introduce—you jump back six months, and you show a young black boy named Miles Morales being bitten by another spider, and you follow this little boy's journey for several—for another great run, which is a completely different episode, potentially. But I liked how the universe continues. Norman's dead, Peter's dead. Aunt May and Gwen and Mary Jane are still people that exist as very ancillary characters in Miles' story, but
0: I don't know. I mean, to the sense of the stakes, right? It's this big, dynamic, moving storyline. You know, I I complain about little narrative elements, things repetitive or whatnot, but I do kind of admire the way this whole thing was built as they went, and it all kind of cohered at the end. If you were to kind of go back but you could probably tell a really compelling story if you just cut out like you know a couple hundred issues. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but this is actually where I disagree because because of those things everything is earned because again you if you weren't binge reading it I, I agree there is some repetition but it's the the lessons and the personalities the beliefs are proven and earned. Because he had to go through this crucible over 160 issues.
0: I wouldn't say everything's earned, but it's like you're just throwing coins, and you know some things are kind of lucky, and some things are earned. Metaphor just makes no damn sense, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I feel no, it's some.
1: There, it's every coin that you're throwing in is an investment, but some are paying off more than others.
0: So they're, you're
1: they're all kind of rolls of like, dice. I like
0: I like how you're refining me. We should do a podcast together, <laughs> Roman. <laughs>
1: I even though they sometimes it's clear they didn't know where they were going or they were trying new things out. The thing I will with with a couple of exceptions, the things I'll give these guys is when they made a choice, they kind of stuck with the choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, we killed Daredevil. He's dead. With the exception He's of dead. Gwen. Gwen's um, But I think when they killed Gwen with carnage, they knew they were bringing her back. So I, even that feels like it was quasi planned.
0: It yeah, just wasn't executed well. I, I think basically, when Gwen died, I think it was basically, "Oh shit, we're at the point where we need to kill a major character." I guess while they were kind of
1: improving and trying new things, with I think they were sticking to somewhat of a plan. But when they made a choice, they stuck with it. When someone died, that person was dead. When we yeah. made a choice that this secret was revealed, you can't ask Mephisto to take it back. You can't ask Doctor Strange to take it back.
0: Though, what you can do is, like, eventually everyone sort of discovers that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Like, throughout, <laughs> the, like, like, it's like each issue, there'd be like, one new person would discover that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. and so It even almost... becomes a
1: running joke. It be- like, Mary Jane has to make a list for him early on.
0: Yeah, but I like how they just kind of repeat that over and over and over again. And hmm. it almost kind of feels kind of meaningless, but it's... <laughs> who doesn't but no, know? I, 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 I mean, look, <laughs> I, like, there's yeah. actually
1: that joke at the very end, Flash Thompson. Oh, it's, a, it's, in, the, it's in the funeral issue, but Flash Thompson's sitting in detention. Yeah. He's like, am I the only person who didn't know? That's, that is
0: actually a nice payoff. I didn't get to that episode, though. Yeah. I didn't get to that issue, but I admire the way all of this kind of came together over 11 years. It is... A massive achievement and there was a real emotional arc to peter parker even as just like weird shit just kind of piled up and up and some was interesting some wasn't but emotionally like he was you saw this kid change and evolve and when he dies it it feels really sad it it also feels kind of inevitable he does actually feel a bit like a tragic character especially like in the second half when just things are just not going right and every lesson that peter that spider-man is learning is a hard lesson well i think in original spider-man like The thing that people liked
1: about Peter Parker was Peter can never catch a break, but that shtick gets old because you have to kind of repeat the life cycle over and over and over again versus this Peter who can never catch a break ultimately leads to his own demise.
0: Yeah, like if you can't catch a break each time, right, Roman? I mean it becomes emotionally trying on you. It becomes less fun. You know, it's less – about plucky cuteness and just more about like you just can't catch a break again and again it builds and builds and you see it build this peter parker and times he really kind of breaks and, and that's something that i, I again is i think it's it's really rare to see in a, in a superhero comic series
1: yeah so i mean my next to last question always ryan is would you recommend having read all of it now preferably not in one sitting would you recommend that people should check out ultimate spider-man
0: yeah, ultimately, I think I I would, it, you know, and even though kind of coming to this conversation with you, Roman, I was actually a lot more down on this comic because of its narrative failings. But thinking about it from the point of view of somebody who read it piece by piece, and who is younger and more enthusiastic, this is actually like a really amazing undertaking. So yeah, I mean, you have to be patient, and you have to kind of roll through all the bad stuff. But I think, just see how all of this comes together and thinking about where it works and where it doesn't, I think, yeah, it's definitely worth, worth reading.
1: It's definitely meant to be read in chapters, right? Like, uh, take, get oh, one yeah. volume, read it, sit with it for a month, then get another one. And it's, I hate to say, it, it's the gift that keeps on giving it's, uh, there will be, even though there is an end, and there are some parts that you may or may not like it, it consistently delivers to, to the conclusion.
0: You know you know what it it's like? It's like saying I, I read all of James Joyce or like saying I read all of Proust. You know, it just feels like you might not have I wouldn't enjoyed say that. No no okay. no, it is. You know why? Because it's like you might not have fucking enjoyed doing it because no one fucking enjoys reading James Joyce. Nobody fucking enjoys reading <laughs> Proust. No one enjoys it. But when they're done reading it, they can say, I fucking did it and I'm gratified. And they can also have a different perspective on these really long fucking things that you know (laughs) no one's supposed to be reading in one sitting (laughs) so speaking of the gift that keeps on
1: giving ryan i I gotta ask uh now that we've read ultimate spider-man what's left what are we reading next week
0: well you know what better to read next week than a happy christmas themed book huh rumen I, because... I love Christmas. How how can you ruin Christmas? Well, we're not gonna ruin Christmas. Grant Morrison is gonna ruin Christmas because we're gonna read Klaus and Klaus is actually this was actually Rummans' book, so he probably is better off explaining it than I am right now. <laughs> All right, let me what is Klaus?
1: Hang on one second. Are you high by the way?
0: Yeah, I popped an edible, and I forgot I had this podcast. Shit,
1: does it show? <laughs> it's pretty off. You're not the same Ryan. <laughs> okay, one. yeah. All right, Klaus. Well, okay. Uh, you know, Ryan and I have been reading a lot of our favorite authors, and Grant Morrison is absolutely one of them. And <laughs> when I was looking up another Grant Morrison comic book, it turns out for the past several years, every year Grant Morrison's been putting out a Christmas comic book called Klaus And Klaus is a fictional superhero. Basically a retelling of the origins of Santa Claus. <laughs> it's it's not what you would imagine. Next week on Quarantine Comics. Next Klaus. week. On
0: Quarantine Comics, Klaus. Look over it, head down, there goes the Spider-Man With the chill of night, that's the scene of a crime Like a streak of light, he arrives just in time